This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. You've probably heard negative stories about those check cashing services. But one urban policy expert says they fill an important need for many lower income Americans. I'm worried about the 75% who don't have any assets, any discretionary income, and pushing them into getting a bank account when it's not serving their need and when it's actually more expensive for them. Then, rental housing costs have jumped in the past decade putting the squeeze on millions of people. Well, it's kind of the flip side of the fallout from the housing crisis across the Great Recession where we saw a drop in home ownership rates. Well, the flip side of the drop in home ownership rates has been an increase in rentership. Those two stories, and much more, are heading your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Our show will get underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Are those check-cashing services really the villains they're often portrayed to be? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks with an urban policy expert, and what she says may surprise you. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Lisa Servan, a professor of urban policy at the New School in Manhattan, and she recently conducted a study of those check-cashing businesses that some people see as an alternative to banks and others see as taking advantage of poor neighborhoods. So how many Americans are using these check-cashing and payday loan businesses today? A lot, actually. Eight percent of Americans have no bank account in, in poor neighborhoods like the South Bronx more than 50%, and then there's a lot more people who have both bank accounts and still use check cashers and payday lenders. So let's get into your research because you took an unusually hands-on approach. Yeah, I did. I've worked in two places. I decided that the only way to really understand why people were using these businesses, given that there's so much criticism about the cost and other kinds of things was to get as close as I could. So I worked as a teller in the South Bronx at a check cashing store for about four months. And I also worked in Oakland, California at a payday lender check casher for a couple of weeks. And I also staffed a hotline for people who were having trouble with payday loans. So that way I got really close to the customers. As you were heading into this, what were your preconceived notions about check cashing places? You know, I think I started out, I've done work in poor communities and work on financial issues and how they affect the poor and working classes for a long time. And without ever having used any of these services, I assumed that they were bad because, you know, that's what was written in the press. And actually, most of what academic articles talked about how these folks actually took advantage of the poor. And it wasn't until... I had a guy who ran a chain of check cashers, actually the place I ended up working, come to a class I was teaching to talk about it. And he made a very strong argument about why he thought that his business was really providing a need that wasn't being provided elsewhere in the community. And his argument made a lot of sense. So I kind of went back and I looked at the data, I looked at all the articles, and I realized that there was nobody else who was kind of down on the ground. And so it seemed to me that I had to investigate. So you went in, worked in these businesses, and actually spoke to a lot of the customers. And what were their reasons for using these check cashing services? Because you mentioned that some of them actually have bank accounts. They do. There are a few different reasons. One important one is liquidity. What that means is that when you're living really close to the edge, 
you don't have a lot of money, a lot of margin for just keeping money lying around. People need the money that they can get as soon as they can get it. One way that plays out, for example, is if you have a bank account and you get a check on payday and you deposit that check, let's say, on Friday afternoon, you're not going to be able to access the money from that check until at least Monday, but probably a couple days after that. Many people don't know this, but banks only take deposits on five days of the week, but they take money out of your account seven days a week. So, you know, Friday's a particularly bad day because you have to wait. And that's when many people get paid. Whereas if you go to the check casher, you're getting that money immediately. And many, many people need that money right away, whether it's to buy groceries or to pay employees or to pay the rent. So liquidity is really important. There's another piece of it, another reason, which has to do with trust and relationships. I was really kind of taken aback when I first went to the check casher and I saw how many people were regular customers, how many people actually knew the teller's name and vice versa. The tellers often could anticipate what a regular customer would need before they got to the window. And that really seemed to matter. And it certainly is not something that I experienced at my bank, but I did experience it as a kid. I remember going to the bank with my dad and how he would chat with the teller and that, you know, the teller would always give me a lollipop or something. And it, it kind of felt like this community space. And it's a lot like that at the check casher now. And so it's not just a warm feeling, but oftentimes people from the community get help there, whether it's helping translate a letter from the government and they don't speak a lot of English, they speak Spanish, or there's some kind of mismatch between when they're getting their money and something that they owe and the teller will work with their situation. So that kind of trust relationships is the second big reason. And the third one, which may come as a surprise to a lot of people, is cost. One of the main critiques of check cashers is that they are expensive. And in New York State, which is where I did my research, you can charge 1.95% of the face value of the check to cash it. It's higher in some states, $1.50 to pay a bill, which is what a lot of people do. Also, different amounts of money to send money to another country. So it sounds like a lot to give up almost 2% of your hard-earned money, especially if you're low income. But so many of the people who I spoke with said that when they had had a bank account, they ended up paying more. There were monthly service fees, checking accounts that were advertised as free were not really free unless you had a minimum balance that most people couldn't afford to keep in the account. And the other piece, which is really linked to that piece about liquidity, was an inability to be able to time when money was coming in and out. So let's say you are depositing that paycheck into your banking account on Friday and you also need to pay some bills, nobody was ever really sure when that check would clear and what would happen if they wrote a check and sent it to the people that they owed money and when those things would clear. So most of the people ended up bouncing checks and paying $35, $38 in an overdraft fee once a month that was way more than the fees that they paid at the check casher. Banks made $38 million last year in overdraft fees that's a huge amount of money. So most people were doing it, using them for very rational reasons. Now, we should note that it is true that some of these companies have been guilty of genuinely predatory practices, confiscatory fees and interest rates, and there have been some legitimate reasons that they've gotten a black eye in the past. That's very true. I think like any industry, there's a range of actors. There are good actors and bad actors. Those accusations are probably levied more at payday lenders than check cashers. It's regulated by the state what you can charge. 
for cashing a check and also what you can charge for a payday loan. I mean, one thing I would say is that almost any place that I've ever been, they're very transparent, which is another thing I think is a reason why people will pay to use them because you walk into a check casher and the fees are displayed and big signs with big font. Same as the lender, the APR and the actual dollar amount is displayed in really big type. But you're right, many people will say that it's taking advantage of a situation that someone is in to charge them what they charge. So the payday lender I worked with was in California where you can charge $15 per hundred for a loan. The highest loan you can get is $300. So what that meant is if somebody said, I'd like a $300 loan, we would give them $255. So they're paying that fee up front. And that, you know, that's a high price for that money. I think the word predatory is tough. It's a loaded word anyway. People really know what they're paying. But the problem is that what often happens is that they never get back on track. So many of the people I talked to, say when I was working on the hotline, had to take out a payday loan. They felt it was their only option because they had some kind of unexpected expense, like their car broke down. And if they didn't have their car, they couldn't get to work. And if they couldn't get to work, they'd lose their job. So they made what seems like a rational decision to take out the loan to get their car fixed. But when the next payday rolled around and that loan was due, they couldn't give up that much of their paycheck because they were living paycheck to paycheck. And they never got a bump in income that would compensate for that bump in expenses from the car. So they'd pay back the loan and then take another one out right away. So another $45, let's say, to get the 255 That's one of the problems. The other thing is that, yeah, there were certainly people who called the hotline who had been harassed over the phone. You know, had people calling them, threatening them to sue them, telling them that they had to pay back, maybe calling their employers in a way that they didn't think was right. The place that I worked in Oakland had me read the regulations around the debt collections practices, and we didn't kind of abuse those or violate those at all. But certainly those practices are being violated in some places as well as are being violated. So it's a question of should the laws be tougher? Should we do more to enforce the regulations that already exist, which I think we absolutely should? And frankly, I think one of the bigger problems is that people just aren't making enough money to make it. So while we have these businesses that are kind of serving the needs for people that are in trouble in some way, you work a minimum wage job or even more than a minimum wage job, and you don't have enough money to pay for your expenses from month to month, and certainly not for that unexpected medical bill or car repair. Policymakers and legislators have worked for years to try to get consumers to open bank accounts rather than going to these businesses. What are your thoughts on that, given the research that you've done? You know, I think right now the way banks currently operate, they're not the best choice for people. The one big reason which I completely sympathize with in terms of why check cashers may not be the best businesses is that they don't provide a way for people to save. And we all know, and I agree with this from a lot of research, that you need to be able to save in order to accumulate assets to pay for education, buy a home, in order to get out of poverty. And that's definitely true. What I found, though, also was that in the South Bronx, for example, where I worked, 75% of the households had no discretionary income. So for the 25% of people who do have some discretionary income, they should absolutely be using banks and being taught how to save, I'm worried about the 75% who don't have 
any assets, any discretionary income, and pushing them into getting a bank account when it's not serving their need and when it's actually more expensive for them. And so it's hard to argue for moving people to banks when it doesn't serve their best interest. Lisa Servon, professor of urban policy at the New School in Manhattan. Thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you so much. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, across the U.S., landlords keep jacking up the rent, and lots of people are getting squeezed. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this.